open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, 2 Chronicles 32. Tonight's message is about a man of prayer, a man of prayer. And verse 1 begins like this. Now when all this, I'm sorry, I get to verse 2, 32, chapter 32. It starts, after these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Now, after these deeds of faithfulness, it says here, and second, Sennacherib came, uh, the king of Assyria comes to enter Judah. These deeds of faithfulness mentioned here in verse 1 were all the deeds, all of Hezekiah's hard work that he put forth to cleanse and consecrate the temple and the priests and the Levites and to restore true worship in Judah. Now, you would think that after these deeds of faithfulness mentioned in verse 1, that God would kind of maybe reward what Hezekiah did by giving him peace. But instead, the Lord allowed the Assyrians to return to Judah and to threaten Jerusalem. Now, Hezekiah had been faithful to the Lord, but it seems, and I emphasize the word seems, as though the Lord wasn't being faithful to Hezekiah, because sometimes we can think like that. Chapter 31.20 says that Hezekiah did what was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And he had done it with all of his heart. So we would naturally think, why in the world didn't the Lord protect Judah from another invasion? Well, it's the same old troubling mystery of the Old Testament. Why do good men seem to always uh, have problems and the bad men seem to always prosper? Uh, we really don't know again, or have much trouble understanding why the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Because they were worshiping idols and rebelling against the law of God. So again, there's no trouble in understanding why the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. You know, you, you can't worship false gods and rebel against the word of God and expect to come out on top. But Judah, on the other hand, they had returned to the Lord because of Hezekiah's leadership, and even though he made some mistakes, his heart was sincere before God. He did it with all of his heart. But we always have to keep in mind that God has divine purposes to fulfill in every one of his children's life. All right? And he had a purpose, a divine purpose to fulfill in Hezekiah's life and in the life of the nation. It was an easy thing for God to send an angel to destroy 185,000 troops. But it was a lot more difficult of a job to work with King Hezekiah and transform him into a man of faith. When we allow God to have his way with us, that is to shape us and to mold us and do whatever he wants with us, the trials of life work for us uh, and not against us. The trials of life, they work for us and not against us. And they bring great glory to the Lord. Now, King Hezekiah needed to learn that he was second in command. And many times we have to learn that we are second in command and that the Lord God alone was sovereign. Hezekiah wasn't just a man of faith. He was also a man of prayer. And here in chapter 32, it looks as if the Lord had allowed Judah to go from the favor of God's blessing to those dark times of disaster. Now, let's look at verses 1 through 8. Of chapter 32. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. 
And he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come, and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo, or the landfill, in the city of David, and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria." nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Again, we don't know how long it was after Hezekiah's deeds of faithfulness before the things described here in verses 1 through 8 took place. But the connection between the two may suggest to us, first of all, that trouble follows faithfulness just like it does sin. Whenever we read that Israel turned away from the Lord, God brought punishment that they deserved and he brought it at just the right time. Suffering always follows sin in some way, in some form. But sometimes, like here, trouble will come to the righteous and the obedient. You know, we may be doing all the right things. We may be serving God and just, you know, breezing along with the Lord. Um, But again, trouble will come to the righteous uh, person, to the obedient heart, to the nation that has a godly king, and to Isaiah for its prophet. To the man who is passionate about doing the will of God, those things will still happen. For example, Jesus was perfect, he was sinless, he was obedient even unto death, the scriptures tell us, and yet he was led, notice, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hebrews 12, 11 says, now no chastening, the word chastening means disciplinary correction, it also can mean education or training. So now no chastening, that is no disciplinary correction or education or training seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not meant to be pleasant. If it was, there wouldn't be much corrective value in it. It wouldn't you know, help us to, to, to get on the right track. Discipline for what it is, is unpleasant to give out, but it's even less pleasant to experience. It's kind of like medicine or surgery or, or, or physical therapy or other some kind of treatments that are often painful. They're uncomfortable or inconvenient. But we willingly suffer through them because we know it's good for us. And we know that afterward, after it's done, the results are better health for us. So how much more should we be willing to suffer through the Lord's treatment of our spiritual needs, which afterwards, the scripture says, yields the peaceable fruit the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, we should think about our troubles as spiritual treatment, as education or training that builds our character, that builds up our faith, our love, and our righteousness. It will never look like it 
all right, from the natural perspective. Many times when we go through our difficult times, it, it doesn't look like it's going to do something good for us when we look at it through the eyes of man. But from the perspective of faith, we see the chastening, that chastening is one of God's richest and most rewarding blessings for his children. So again, you know, and we sing these words, Lord, bring me what brings you glory, whatever it takes, God. Secondly, we see that we should face trouble with courage, energy, wisdom, and godliness, just like Hezekiah does. In 2 Kings 18, 9 through 16, Hezekiah had given in to fear. And he did some things that were shameful for a man in his position. But here in chapter 32, he's a different man. He showed wisdom by consulting with his officials and his military advisors. He consulted with the strongest and wisest of his people, and they decided to stop the flow of springs or stop the flow of water outside the city. Cities had to be built near good, reliable water sources. Natural springs were some of Jerusalem's most important sources of water. So in a wise military move, Hezekiah plugs up the springs that are outside the city and he channeled the water through an underground tunnel according to verse 30. So Jerusalem would have water if there was a long siege by Sennacherib. Hezekiah's tunnel has been discovered along with an inscription that described how it was built. And the inscription said that there were two groups of workers that were digging underground. One group started in Jerusalem, the other group at the, at the Gihon Spring, and they met in the middle. Hezekiah, his courage rose to the occasion to meet the need. His energy was demonstrated in the effective steps that he took to upset and to appoint the enemy mentioned in verses 4 through 5. Hezekiah also showed his wisdom in how quickly he took action in what he did and also in his effort to encourage the people with confidence and security. He said, hey, guys, we're not trusting in the arm of the flesh. We're trusting in the Lord to fight our battles. And so they went away in confidence and, and, and encouraged. Hezekiah's godliness was clear in how he talked to the people. You see, Hezekiah had eyes of faith. He had eyes. He could see with eyes of faith. All of those who were against him, it didn't worry him. It didn't mean anything to him as long as he was on the Lord's side. And you know what? Zechariah tells us that victory doesn't come by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hezekiah could confidently encourage his men because, you see, he had no doubt about where he stood with God and where God was with him. And it's a question we must all ask. Are we on the Lord's side tonight? Now, you might never face an enemy army, army like Hezekiah did. But the battles that you face every day, they can be won with God's strength. Paul said to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might, not in our own strength. Hezekiah called on the people to remember, look, guys, you're not trusting or you're not leaning on the arm of the flesh. But in verse eight, he says, but in the Lord, your God, remember that. And when we run into any kind of trouble, whether it's disappointment or it's, it's a, lo a loss of some kind or it's grief or sickness, no matter what kind of affliction it is, we need to deal with them with this same with these same attitudes, with the same characteristics here. 
then those things won't defeat us. They won't, they won't bring us down. We will get the victory over them, and it won't leave desolation and ruin behind us. It will leave us with profit and blessing. And then third, we see here that when we're attacked, our goal should be to defeat the enemy's plan. And that's what we saw again in verses 1 through 8. Many times people think that when they come under attack, man, we, we need to fight fire with fire. In other words, we need to fight the enemy in the same way that we're being attacked. But you know what? That might not be the best way. That's why we need to seek the Lord's direction. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And just like Hezekiah thought about what Sennacherib was trying to do, he took quick and smart action to defeat his plan. You see, we don't need to think about what the kind of warfare to implement, but what's the real goal and what's the ultimate purpose of our enemy. And then we need to go to work to stop it from the enemy carrying it out. You know, see, the enemy might just sometimes want to harass us. He might just want to provoke us and to disturb us. But you see, we'll totally defeat what he's trying to do by letting ourselves be provoked or disturbed. He might want to just get us to compromise, but we'll get the victory by refusing to be drawn into his plan. Think about what his goal is and then do whatever you have to do to stop it. Fourth thing that we see in verses 1 through 8 is that righteousness is the strength of any cause of a kingdom. We read in Proverbs 13, 34, righteousness exalts a nation. King Sennacherib had a lot of soldiers. But you know what? It didn't mean a thing when he, you know, showed them off to Hezekiah, you know, because, again, it, it was, he was coming against the living God. Hezekiah's army was probably smaller than Sen- Sennacherib's. It probably wasn't as well equipped or well as, as well trained. But again, to Hezekiah, that didn't matter as long as they had righteous hearts and as long as God was their leader. Because it's with an upright heart and godly character, and it's with perfect purity and simplicity of spirit when we can ask God's blessing on whatever we do. And when Hezekiah was facing the frightening possibility of an Assyrian invasion, he made two important decisions. He did everything that he could to deal with the situation, and then he trusted God for the outcome. It's the same thing we need to do. When the enemy comes against us, we need to do everything that we can to deal with the situation. And once we've done all that we can, now we let God have the rest of it. And we trust him for the outcome. Again, that's exactly what we have to do when we're faced with the difficult or frightening situations. We need to take all the steps that we possibly can to solve the problem or improve the situation. But then we also have to commit the situation to God in prayer, trusting him for the solution. Psalm 37, 3 through 5 tells us, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and notice, and feed on his faithfulness. Too many times we feed on the problem. We feed on our emotions. But the psalmist says, Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. A great psalm for encouragement. Let's look at verses 9 through 23 now. And it says, After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. 
But he and all the forces with him laid siege, laid siege against Lachish to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, In what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the land of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this and do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. So how much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Furthermore, his servants spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, the works of men's hands. Now, because of this king, uh, of this king Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all the others and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. In verses 9 through 23, as you're looking and reading through this, King Sennacherib here is a type of Satan. If you see what he was saying, now, now you know... You're going to trust in the God of Hezekiah. You're going to believe that the God of Hezekiah is going to save you. Hey, he says, the gods of all those other nations weren't able to save them. What makes you think your God's going to be able to save you? Don't be deceived by what King Hezekiah is telling you. That's exactly what Satan says to you when you're going through a difficult time. How can you trust in your God? He's not going to be able to get you out of this mess. He can't help you. He's, you know, you're being deceived. In these verses, we see an example of the proud and the humble. First, we look at the proud, which again is King Sennacherib. Appearances is all that is the only thing that the proud have on their side. Appearances, what it looks like. In other words, how I look. They have impressive numbers. They have a bigger military. They have better training. They have better equipment. 
They have a reputation of being mighty and powerful. They have a reputation for having a lot of victories and a lot of success. And they have a, they, they're known as a world power. But notice, it's nothing but appearances. And those appearances are mixed with spiritual evil. It's ignorant of the truth that it distorts. We see that in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He goes on to say, Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his places, that is, or his high places and his altars, and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? It's also mocking. You know, notice verse 11. He goes on, Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Israel? They were mocking their God. So again, we see that, the, that there's ignorance in the truth. They distort it. The pride is accompanied by vainglory. Look at verses 13 through 15. Do you not know that I and my fathers have done all uh, d- done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this and do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my father. So how much less will your God deliver you from my hand? So again, we see wickedness in all of this. Putting the living God, you know, Sennacherib was was putting the living God in the same class with the gods of the heathen. How is your God, like all the gods of the other nations, going to be able to save you? All of these evil attitudes, the pride, the wickedness, the mockery, all of these wicked and evil attitudes and these wicked words, those are serious sins. And they're serious sins against oneself and they're serious sins against others. But most of all, they are serious sins that are directly against God. Those sins invite the wrath of God. For Sennacherib, who was so sure this was going to be an easy win, just another notch in his belt, brought disaster and shame to him. According to verse 1. Verse 21 says that he was beaten and he was defeated by God. An angel came and just wiped him out. And it says that he returned embarrassed to his own land. So Sennacherib, who thought so highly of himself, was humiliated. He was cut down to size. And this is what a proud person or somebody that's prideful can expect. They will be brought down because there are two powers working against them. First of all, pride is working against them because the proud heart always, most always, leads to carelessness or some foolish or deadly mistake. You've become so proud. You know, it, it was like Uzziah as well. When he thought, you know what, I am, I, God has blessed me so much. I'm so powerful and I'm so, you know, I've won so many victories. He thought he could go into the, into the temple of God and he could offer incense to God. You know, and here, and here, second, Sennacherib, so powerful. He won so many battles that, you know, again, when we become that proud, we become careless. And we do foolish things, make foolish decisions and make deadly mistakes. Secondly, the second thing that was against Sennacherib, God's displeasure was stirred up against him. 
again and again god has shown his wrath against this kind of evil and this wicked sin of pride and that's why we need to be warned to fall under pride's power hey is it isn't just your punishment it will also lead to other sorrows in our life also humility is clearly in great danger the world the world sees nothing of value in humility the world is totally against humility and if the race was always to the swift and the battle was always to the strong humility wouldn't stand a chance humility would never reach its goal humility would never get the victory but its character is beauty and godliness that's the character of humility beauty and godliness there's great moral beauty in humility and you know what it's nice to see when you see it in somebody and you know what? It gets people's attentions, attention. And also, it gets the attention of the wicked one. Plus, it's an attitude that is reverent. Humility knows its limits, and it calls on God for help. It's not too proud to say, God, I need you. I can't do this by myself. And that humility will cry out to heaven. And you know what? That humility will turn to God and lean upon him. Not only that, in the end, there's not just deliverance for the humble, there's honor as well. The Lord saved Hezekiah from Sennacherib, verse 22 says. And it says then that gifts were brought to Hezekiah. He was honored. He was exalted in the sight of all the nations. So we can say this about humility. First of all, it's a beautiful grace that's worth having. And it really does enrich the life of the person who has it. Secondly, it brings the favor of God. And third, it will be honored in due time. So not only does humility bring us into the kingdom of Christ, because pride will keep us out of the kingdom of God. Humility also leads us on to greater responsibilities in the kingdom of God. And the person with a humble heart that leans on God they're happy everywhere and they're spiritually prosperous everywhere and they are sure to receive evidence of god's attention by others like it was with hezekiah or in some other way of, of, of joyous blessings let's look at verses 24 through 26 and verse 31 verse 24 through 36 in those days hezekiah was sick and near death and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah, notice, did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, uh, he, and, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Go to verse 31 now. And there it says, however, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. So here we see the trial or the temptation of restoration. What happened here to Hezekiah was really a lightweight thing compared to what happened in the verses before. 
And it concerns the sickness and the recovery of Hezekiah, the healing of Hezekiah, together with a visit from a few ambassadors from the surrounding nations that came to the court at Jerusalem. But, you know, what happened here has some valuable lessons for all of us to learn. First of all, we learn the priceless part that trials play in our life. Trials really are a priceless part that we experience in our life. Now, we don't know when they're going to come, but the Bible promises us that they will come. But are we prepared? Hezekiah didn't have any reason to expect to get sick. And you know what? People who get sick and and seriously sick and, and terminally ill, it's the same with them. They might be the healthiest person, you know, and they've never been sick. And, you know, they just go for a, a normal annual checkup and, and they get news that they've got a terminal illness. Hezekiah didn't have any reason to expect that he was going to get sick and even almost die. But it happened. And it happened to him so unexpectedly. And you know what? That's the way it, it usually happens. One minute we're healthy. Never been, a, never been sick a day in our life. We eat well. We, exit, we do all that we need to do. We're doing well. And all of a sudden, it hits. Trouble. Sickness. Loneliness. And in a matter of minutes, our whole life has been turned upside down. It's been changed and rearranged. We can't guess how long those trials will last. You know, we, we expect a little pain to go away in a few days. But then it lingers and it goes on and it becomes serious. And it becomes a threatening illness. The way we see it, we think that we've been struck a deadly blow. And it's the same for other afflictions other than, uh, than our bodily afflictions. We can measure how big they're going to be. We, we can't measure how big uh, they're going to be or, or how long they're going to be or how serious Thirdly, we can't understand why they come and we can't understand what they mean. And and, and we begin to listen to the devil. Lord, did I do something wrong? Because Satan goes, oh, you must have done something wrong. You must not be praying enough. You must not be reading enough. You must not be going to church enough. Is God unhappy with me? Or is it just a sign that my God is so interested in me? He's brought this affliction upon my life for my betterment because he cares so deeply for my spiritual welfare. Our refuge is in God. Verse 24 says that Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. And we know from 2 Kings 20 how Hezekiah poured his heart out to God and how sincerely he asked God for compassion. And when we're in trouble, there's nothing better than we can, that we can do than, than even come close to the wisdom of seeking and finding a refuge in God. And you know what? Even if we don't expect deliverance from our adversity, when we ask for it, we ask for God's sympathy and we ask for his comfort in it. And you know what? It's never in vain and it's never denied. Lord, if you don't uh, save me or deliver me from this affliction, then Lord, help me to deal with it. Comfort me in it, Lord. 
the psalmist said in Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. God says, I will answer you and you shall glorify me. That's the deal. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll, I'll deliver you. Ah, but you shall glorify me. And you can be sure of this, that God will, will deliver you. Now, he may not deliver you in the way you're expecting him to, but he will answer your prayer. And he'll deliver you. He'll answer you. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. Psalm 103, 13. In Christ, we have a high priest who knows our infirmities. Hebrews 4, 15. That, that, that makes him able to, to, to know how to best deal with our afflictions. And our afflictions test us. And man, sometimes they test us to the max. It will prove not only to God, but to ourselves and to others what we are made out of. That's when we really find out who we are. How deep our Christianity goes when we experience serious afflictions. Whether it's the spirit of a loving child's trustfulness or a quiet submission of real godliness or of an open heart to learn and a willingness to, to do God's holy will, we'll learn all of those things. But there's another trial that might strike even deeper and test, test us even more, and that's the, the test of restoration. Like with what happened to Hezekiah here. You see, Hezekiah handled the trial of sickness well. He went to the Lord. It drew him to or drove him to the rock of his salvation. He prayed to God. That's what trials are designed to do. Trials are not meant to knock you flat on your back. They're meant to bring you to your knees. To bring you before God. But we read here that Hezekiah didn't handle it right. He didn't handle the test very well in his restoration. And then when the ambassadors from the surrounding nations came and, and they congratulated him, it says he was lifted up. He got proud. And that pride raised its ugly head. And God was not happy about it. Hezekiah did not respond in the right way to God's special grace. He didn't respond with the right gratefulness. He lost sight of himself. And he lost the sight of God's mercy and God's powerful involvement. Verse 25 says his heart was proud and lifted up. How do we act when the trials are over in our life and things are looking good again? What's our spiritual attitude when we're strong again and things are prosperous again? When everything is pretty much back to normal, that's the real time of testing. Then God tests us. And then we show Him and our neighbors what we're really made of, whether our affliction has permanently touched us or temporarily touched us. Verses 27 through 33. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of desirable items. 
storehouses for the harvest of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of the livestock and foals for flocks. Moreover, he provided cities for himself and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him, notice, God had given him very much property. This same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gihon and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. However, notice, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him, notice, to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, indeed they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Hezekiah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Now in these last verses, when when the ambassadors from uh, Babylon came, Hezekiah foolishly showed him all the wealth of the kingdom. And here's how God felt about what he did here. God was not happy about it. So a test... A test can bring out a person's true character. God tested Hezekiah to see what he was really like. And to show Hezekiah himself his own shortcomings and the attitude of his heart. You see, God doesn't test us so that God can see what's in our heart. The Bible tells us God knows what's in man's heart. God tests us so that we'll, so that we'll see how we react to those tests so that we can see our shortcomings. God totally, it says here, abandoned Hezekiah. He abandoned Hezekiah. Or I should say, I'm sorry, he didn't totally abandon Hezekiah. Nor did he tempt him uh, to sin or to trick him. The test was meant to strengthen him. The test was meant to develop his character and prepare him for the tasks ahead. You see, during the good times, most of us, hey, we can live good lives. We can live godly Christian lives. But when the pressure comes and the trouble hits or the pain comes, that will quickly peel away the thin layer of of spirituality and goodness, goodness unless our strength comes from God. What are you like under pressure? Or when everything goes wrong, do you give in to the pressure? Do you turn away from God or do you turn to God? People who are always in touch with God, they don't have to worry about what pressure might reveal about them. Let those who have been cast down in any kind of affliction and then have been raised up again by the grace of God, ask themselves The big question, have they proven themselves to be submissive children of their Heavenly Father? Have they proven to be true disciples of the Lord in their life? Have they learned humility? Have they learned not to trust in themselves? Are they consecrated to God? And are they living for God? Or are they falling into selfishness or what's earthly and proud? God has been testing them. Let every man examine and test his own heart. 
And if he can rejoice in himself, in his spiritual integrity, if he can't, let him think about it seriously and act wisely before God before something worse happens to him. So why did God withdraw from Hezekiah? Because after he was healed, Hezekiah developed a lot of pride. And when the ambassadors from Babylon came to ask him about this miracle healing that he experienced, God stepped back to see how Hezekiah was going to answer these ambassadors. And unfortunately, what Hezekiah did showed that his pride had gotten the best of him. Hezekiah pointed to his own accomplishments rather than to God. You see, pride is the attitude that says, look what I did. Or it points to our effort or our abilities and not God's. Pride causes us to pat ourselves on the back for our successes, for what we did, and to look down on other people. Now, God doesn't object to self-confidence. And he doesn't object to healthy self-esteem or good feelings about what we accomplish. But what he does object to is the foolish attitude of taking all the credit for what he has done or setting ourselves up as better than others. So in closing, here's the challenge this evening. Take an inventory of your own personal life. If you want God to move in your life, then ask yourselves these questions. Am I honest? Am I truthful? Am I faithful? Can I be depended on? Am I pure? Am I really pure, living pure in this dirty world? Am I totally dedicated? Am I really a dedicated child of God? D.L. Moody heard a man say that the world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully yielded to him. Moody's response was, by the grace of God, I will be that man. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word. And God, I pray, we pray, that God, we would be men and women of integrity, God. Lord, men and women who know who should get the glory. Who know, Father, where the gifts and the goodness comes from, Lord. All that I have is because of you, Lord. Anything good that I do is you. Anything bad that I do is me, Father. For you are all good. You are all perfect. You can do nothing bad or wrong. You make no mistakes, God. Lord, it's when I'm leaning upon my flesh, when I'm looking to myself, was when I mess up. But when I'm leaning on you, Lord, when I'm seeking your counsel and your direction, God, then I'm going to go the right way. I'm going to do the right thing. As long as I allow pride in my life to take over, and to be under pride's power, it will cause me to, to invite your wrath and your judgment. And worst of all, it'll cause me to miss 
eternity with you, Lord. Pride will keep us out of heaven. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, for whatever reason, our prayer is that you will humble yourself tonight and recognize that you need God. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, you can do all things, Paul said. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to make him your Lord, your master, you must humble yourself and admit, Lord, I am a sinner. And I can't direct my own steps. I need a shepherd. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. When the song's over, we'll pray together. A simple prayer of faith.